Tom Jones? Yes. Thank you, behind the glass, Jerry. That's a nice way to start the day. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual. Yeah, that's actually a really nice pick-me-up. I made the mistake. Well, not a, never a mistake to watch Survivor on Global. New season of Survivor last night. Ghost Island, great start. Two hours? Two hours, and that was the problem. <laughs> the problem is I have made the I have my phone beside me, and as I've lamented, long lamented many times before, the phone is such a distraction. A show that ended at nine o'clock didn't end until ten thirty for me. <laughs> I didn't. No, I didn't start till seven thirty. But still, you should be able to get through that. No problem. No, I'm just. I am. Such a, so easily distracted. You so. need a lockbox or something. You really need a do. safety deposit box, one of those safes like you have in your uh, hotel room in Las Vegas or in Mexico where you can lock your stuff away. Yeah. Yeah, I think you need one of those. I, I know what I'm going to get you for your birthday. <laughs> Nothing. Hey, happy pothole season. Oh, boy. I think it sort of officially starts today, March 1st, in like a lamb, but there is a lion lurking oh? in the not-too-distant future. We're hearing reports. We were speculating about the possibility of snow over the next several days. Adriana Zhang uh, clearly talking about that somewhat this morning that, you know, maybe rain, rain, snow mix. Mike Conkin has tweeted out about the possibility using the hashtag MB storm. Never what you want to see in your Twitter feed is MB storm. (laughs) So we'll be keeping an eye on, you, you know what the culprit is here, right? The Jets' arch nemesis, or one of them, is the Colorado Avalanche. Okay. Our arch nemesis this time of year, the infamous Colorado Low. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Two things you don't want to see anywhere near a forecast in Manitoba, Colorado Low attached to the hashtag MBStorm. Yeah, just looking at the, uh, the forecast here, Sunday could be a mess, Monday could be a mess, Looks like Tuesday might level off a bit, but again, that's the long-term forecast, and that could change. So, hopefully, it looks like we're going to get something. Right. We'll, we'll whisper about it now. We'll we'll see if our if our level of uh, volume of our conversation uh, rises over the next few days or not. Uh, I tried not to drive to work today. Um, I just went out onto my street, figured someone might happen by. Give me a ride today. Job. Job. Job, <laughs> drive and uh, sharing services began uh, legally operating at twelve oh one this morning. That's right. There are four companies getting ready to enter the fray. Those four companies are called Tap Car, Cowboy Taxi, U two Go. So like the band U two Go, and then InstaRide. All so- my favorite ride sharing companies. <laughs> I've never heard of any of these companies. InstaRide apparently was on uh, Dragon's Den back oh, in 2016. Really? So they're, they're based out of Toronto. So, yeah, four companies going, going to give it a go in Winnipeg, uh, despite the fact that Uber and Lyft have thumbed their nose at uh, our province, given the restrictions MPI has put in place. But uh, well, I, I suspect that's going to change. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Headley has announced it will go on, quote, indefinite hiatus at the conclusion of its current Canadian tour. The Cageless Tour is scheduled to stop in Winnipeg on March 17th and conclude March 23rd in Kelowna. The band's show in Windsor on March 11 was cancelled by the venue. This is a story that we first started reporting just over two weeks ago. Allegations of inappropriate sexual conduct by the members of one of Canada's most popular music groups. 
Those initial allegations began on the internet. Lead singer Jacob Holgard has received much of this attention, although there have been stories attached to all members of the band. Those first stories caught the attention of Juno Awards organizers, which led to the group first being dropped as performers on the annual awards show to eventually having their nominations revoked. On February 16th, the band's management dropped the band from their roster of talent that they represent, and over the past several days, internet allegations have turned into verbal ones. An Ottawa woman came forward two days ago with her very disturbing story. She spoke with ET Canada. Now, I have to give you a warning here. Some of the language in this story is very graphic. Part of the reason we're playing it for you at 6.15 in the morning. And um, he just kept like telling me that uh, I like I was being a good girl and like petting my head. And, and at one point he was like choking me. Concealing her identity for fear of fan backlash. The 24 year old says Hogarth spat on her, slapped her and made her do something she didn't want to do. Held me down and forced me to have anal sex with him. She says Hogarth didn't wear a condom and didn't stop assaulting her, even as she bled from her vagina and anus. In a journal entry, the CBC reports she writes about not being able to sit for two days. Although she never filed a police report, she says she did see a doctor a few days later. In this apparent medical record, it shows that she was tested for STIs and that she had mentioned being assaulted. It was the worst day of my life, and I'll never forget that day. The woman says she first came into contact with Hogart at a Wee Day concert in Ottawa two years ago, where she was volunteering. Hogart communicated with her at the event through Snapchat. But she says the two didn't meet face-to-face -face until two weeks later at the Thompson Hotel in Toronto, where she says a hotel employee let Hogart know when his, quote, regular room was ready. The woman says, quote, of course I expected sex, I'm not naive, but he completely crossed the line. In a statement, Hogarth's lawyer says the singer met the woman through Tinder. This is Hogarth's 2016 profile picture on the dating app. According to Hogarth, they had consensual sex. Quote, Jacob is very sorry that she is upset, but that does not change the fact that they made a mutual plan to get together to have sex, and they did just that. At no time did Jacob act badly or do anything without her consent. Did you catch the part of the story where the woman says she met Hogarth at Wee Day? Yeah. Yeah, that's... What's Wee Day about again? So Wee Day is... A, it was created for young people, students from, you know, uh, grade 7, 8, 9, grade 6, come uh, together in major cities at uh, arenas. We have one here in Winnipeg, 16,000 people. It's basically a get-together for kids to feel empowered to make a difference in the world. And Headley has been very active in appearing across the country at Wee Day in various cities. And yesterday, uh, Calgary radio host came forward with her story. Good morning, it's Katie and Ed. Uh, thanks for joining us. Live on the airwaves every weekday morning, an upbeat duo helping Calgarians start their day. But on Wednesday, a decidedly different tone. I met Jacob and I said, hey, like, I have been a fan of you for a long time. I saw you at Satan and, and uh, he was like, oh, cool. Well, you know, maybe if you're lucky, I'll let you come out into the back alley with me and I mean, I don't want to say it because it's graphic, but right. he basically said I could give him oral sex. The Jacob she's referring to, Jacob Hogard. She says this brief interaction happened about seven years ago when she had just started working at the radio station. Summers alleges a colleague had invited her to meet the band while they were at their work, and Hogard made the comments in front of four or five other people, which everyone laughed off. 
I just didn't say anything because it was 30 seconds later, a little tap on my butt and out the door he went. And that was it. And it just, it happened so fast. She says the moment crystal clear, even years later. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I have met and interviewed that band three times since then. And it's come up in my mind every single time before I walk in the door. Global News spoke to one of the witnesses Summer says was in the room at the time. He says he witnessed Hogard grab Summers in the area of her buttocks, but does not remember any specific comments that were made. This comes after allegations against the band on social media and in the wake of a sexual assault allegation. In a CBC interview, an Ottawa woman says she was raped by the singer in a Toronto hotel room in 2016. Hogard has denied that woman's claims. A statement from Hogard's lawyer reads in part, they agreed to get together to have sex. At no time did Jacob act badly or do anything without her consent. I'm not saying that he did what people are saying he did. I don't know that, but I know what he did to me. And if that inspires anybody else to come forward or tell their story, and whether it's with Jacob or whoever, then great. Tracy Nagai. Global News. I actually uh, interviewed Jacob Hogard back in November of 2015 oh. here in this building. And I found him to be a very engaging interview. And uh, so these allegations uh, are very bothersome. And when they get so graphic and so detailed, you, you can't help but but take them uh, beyond seriously in my mind, Brett. Uh, do you want to hear Hogard's full statement uh, from yesterday? Uh, it's time... To speak for myself, as I should have done from the beginning, in the face of multiple allegations, I have to speak out and address these concerns. I need to be completely clear. I have never engaged in non-consexual sexual behavior in my life, ever. However, over the last 13 years, I have behaved in a way that objectified women. The way I've treated women was reckless and dismissive of their feelings. I understand the significant harm that... It caused not only to the women I interacted with, but to all women who are degraded by this type of behavior. I've been careless and indifferent, and I have no excuse. For this, I am truly sorry, and um, goes on to suggest that I was given a position of leadership and power. I mishandled it. I will regret this for the rest of my life. I've let down my family, friends, and so many fans. I'm sorry. It's time for me to change. I've decided to step away from my career indefinitely. I don't want it to be any slower, easier, cheaper. Yes, ride sharing services are now legal in Manitoba. Options are growing for Winnipeggers looking for a new ride. By this weekend, as many as four ride-sharing companies are expected to have cars on the road. Here's Global News reporter Zara Premji on how it could work. Winnipeggers want to see a little competition. Bring them on. When it comes to their options for rides across the city. That's no secret. Um, just give us another option. Cheaper, safer option. And reliable. The biggest thing is just showing up on time. I've been late for work too many times, relying on a cab, calling it 45 minutes beforehand, and it's still late. So they're just not that reliable. That's where the ride-sharing companies planning to hit Winnipeg streets on Friday come in. When you don't have competition and you're the only business running, you tend to uh, to 
to ignore customer service. And a promise from at least two of the companies, InstaRide and Cowboy Taxi, they'll be cheaper than taking a Winnipeg taxi. If you're using Cowboy Taxi, your ride from Bridgewater Center to, say, a Jets game at Bell MTS Place would cost just under $19. If you took one of the Winnipeg-based taxis, it would cost you nearly $23. That's not including additional fees for the time spent waiting in traffic. Of the nearly 50 cowboy taxi drivers expected to hit Winnipeg streets on Friday, they'll be implementing their girl power option where female passengers have the option to ride with a female driver. Tabcar says there are over 300 drivers who have applied, but it remains unclear how many of those will be on the streets come Friday. Zara Premji, Global News. As Zara was talking about Cowboy Taxi in there, CEO Mo Benini spoke with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham yesterday on the news. And Julie started by asking him if he's okay with the insurance that MPI has rolled out. You know, I'm very happy with what they rolled out. They rolled out the best product in all of Canada. I've had problems here in Alberta because the government of Alberta has allowed a partnership between uh, Intact and uh, Uber that has given Uber the monopoly when it comes to rideshare insurance, whereas in Manitoba, every rideshare company is on a level playing field. Intact has refused to do business with any other rideshare company except for Uber, which has given Uber the monopoly uh, here in Alberta and across Canada. You have a limo sedan, a luxury economy, minivan, and you got something called Girl Power. What's Girl Power? Well, Girl Power is a unique product that we're launching in in, uh, Winnipeg. So with my 15 years of experience, I've heard so many stories from uh, female passengers that don't feel comfortable in, in cabs or when men pick them up because of the either the way they look at them or the what they tell them or uh, the conversation that they, they've had. So the taxi industry has lost a lot of customers due to a few few bad apples in the industry that have, that have scared off female passengers. And these passengers have lost trust in the industry. So this girl power... We'll, we'll be signing up only female drivers on this girl power service type so that passengers can choose to have a female driver pick them up and drop them off. And I think they'll, be, they'll feel much safer using our product and hopefully they, they trust us to use the other services uh, like the economy and the luxury and the minivan and the limo, limo sedan service. That is Mo Benini, CEO of Cowboy Taxi. Now, if you want to be a driver with Cowboy, you can apply through their app. Drivers need a criminal record check, vehicle inspection, valid driver's license, the proper vehicle for hire insurance. Went public Tuesday. In 24 hours, they had over 100 applications. Couldn't verify by yesterday if the drivers had purchased the vehicle for higher insurance. So today will be the day they can start approving and activating drivers to be ready for tomorrow. How interesting that uh, Bellini says that the MPI product is the strongest he's seen across Canada for his drivers in terms of insurance. Uh, That caught me by surprise. Yeah, it did. And I, I thought, is he just trying to say nice, the good things as he goes into it? But he seemed quite content. He, he pointed to problems that he's had back in Alberta. And for those, just uh, just a recap on what MPI is looking for here. They The Crown Corporation's plan requires would-be drivers to pay up to 20% more for insurance, uh, though that number could go down depending on which time bands 
drivers choose to participate in. For example, if drivers want to offer services on the weekend or at night because they work full-time during the day, then they'd be able to select those specific time bands, and the premium would be reduced even further from that 20%. Uh, That doesn't sound unreasonable to me at all, to pay an extra 20% on your on your car insurance to have the liability coverage of having someone that you're not related to in your vehicle in the case of something going catastrophic. I think it'd be a small price to pay to be able to do business and to make the extra living and the extra amount of money that, that we hear you can make as a driver for one of these ride-sharing services. And I imagine if you're set up as a business, that insurance cost is going to be an expense anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you, and the MPI goes on to say, if you assume $1,200 a year is the average premium, we're talking just over $200 extra for an entire year. year. Per year. So that's 65 cents a day. Uh, when you could be earning 20 to 25 bucks a fare or a trip, I think it's a very small price to pay. I would really, you know, we need to talk to Uber and Lyft uh, again and find out what their concerns are. I think Uber is going to be on with Julie and Richard uh, later on this week. Oh. I'll have to double check on that. Very good. Yeah, we, it would be nice to hear what they have to say. Are they just being greedy? Are they being trying to be bullies? Uh, because Winnipeg is not the only place where they are not. Vancouver, you mentioned, is correct. A still, place. still without Uber, still without Lyft. So, uh, And uh, as Jerry has mentioned and pointed out to us, London, England has already come full circle with the Uber experience. Uh, they operated in London, England for years uh, and now have sort of been unceremoniously kicked out. Greg and Brett with you, joined by Shanalee Vidal, Christian O'Mell, who's in for Kelly Moore this week. Oh, only one more day to, to get up, I like, know. real working yeah, it's people, It's only an Christian. hour, a bit earlier than I'm normally in at 6.30, there so. There you go, there you go. I like yeah. sports, it's fine. Yeah, good, because sports uh, behind the glass. Jerry, omnipresent as always, and uh, Jeff Braun to my left. Uh, at least four ride-sharing companies are set to hit the streets tap car Cowboy, we just heard a little bit more about in our previous segment. Taxi, U2Go, and InstaRide. I know when I used to go visiting Calgary and uh, go down to, remember Electric Avenue back in the day? That was a street of bars. They wrote a song about that, didn't they? Yeah, different Electric Avenue. (laughs) And uh, you could go from place to place, bar to bar, relatively inexpensive alcohol. And in Calgary, I used to joke that they had Star Trek Taxi because... I was just on Electric Avenue. Now, magically, I'm back in my hotel. So I don't know if Instaride has found a way to instantly get you from one place to another. But here's uh, here's hoping. Most of us have never heard of any of these uh, different ride-sharing companies. Yeah, I mean, the two ride-sharing companies with the greatest brand recognition, Uber and Lyft, are shying away from setting up here due to high insurance rates. So today we're having coffee talking about ride-sharing and that brand recognition. Will you be trying out one of these ride-sharing services or will you be holding out for a more recognizable company like Uber? So... Why don't we start with you, Shanalee? I know that uh, you've had some taxi adventures uh, in this year so far. So, uh, would you be? Are you more inter- inclined to try a ride-sharing service? Uh, you know, I'm inclined to try just because it's new and exciting, and I want to learn about it, and I'm very curious. Um, I'm, I'm 
it's funny because I'm going to a social uh, this weekend, and they're already they're posting in the social page. Oh, tap cars going to be ready, so so that's a safe w- uh, option for you to get home. So I won't be trying it this weekend, just because I'm going to be within walking distance. But I, I am looking forward to trying it just so I can see what it's like, so I can review it. But even more so, I'm looking forward to seeing the reviews of my friends because people are uh, going to be posting on Facebook very soon about their own experiences with these companies. And I had actually downloaded, looked to download the apps. Uh, successfully managed to download apps for three of the four companies. I could not find anything for you to go. Oh, really? Yeah. And just a special note, the Cowboy Taxi one, there's two, there's several different apps. And so you have to make sure that you get the Winnipeg Passenger app. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's a really yes. good note. So I'm, so I'm looking forward to seeing more so what other people say about these things. And then I'm going to, and then I'm going to kind of use that advice as well and take that into consideration. Now there's a special section and a special opportunity for female drivers and female passengers with the with the cowboy ride sharing app um does that interest you at all or does that seem uh unusual in your mind or is it a good idea i don't think it's unusual i know i i i what comes to mind is bojack horseman and and the last season is that they created this this ride sharing company and it was it was like a safe space for women offering rides for men and it was turned out to be this horrible thing and it so it's I, I think I'm, I'm interested and I would try it. I think it might be difficult to get a female driver because uh, if everyone's requesting them, how many are going to be available? How many are going to be available in your neighborhood? So that's going to limit the amount of rides that you can get. And B, well, I shouldn't I shouldn't have to request a female driver mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you as a driver should be courteous and treat me with respect in general. Uh, so so that's that's the fact of the matter of it. I just tried looking for the U2Go app. Uh, I'm on uh, Android, so I'm in the Google Play, and I can't find it either. There is a a U2Go app, but it's uh, for planning uh, pre-wedding photos. I don't think that's it. (laughs) (laughs) It says, U2Go, planning pre-wedding photo easier. Oh, you too. Easy for you. You to make go. better fun time. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, you've been you've been around a little bit. Have you tried Uber or any of these ride I've sharing been services? I've in anywhere? a ride sharing car once in my life. It was in Sydney, Australia, when we were heading back from a cricket match to my friend's place. Does that it, mean the same thing there as it does here, or is it like <laughs> animals, little bugs it's fighting a sport. each other? Okay. <laughs> Bugs fighting each other. We were sitting in the stands and watching bugs attack each other. It was wonderful fun for three and a half hours. I I had no problem with the the Uber ride. I mean, it was a long one, so it cost a bit, but there were no problems. The driver was a very nice guy. Chatted with him for a while. But I can count on one hand the number of times I've used a cab in Winnipeg in the three years I've been here. So trying out a ride-sharing service isn't something I'm going to be doing anytime soon because I don't go out very much. And the only time I've ever used a cab is either going to or from the airport, and I'm not flying anywhere anytime soon. So I'm probably not the right person. Now, I've got friends coming in today, and they actually asked me when they were coming, hey, do you guys have Uber? And I was like, no, no, we don't. Not yet, but these new ride-sharing services will be interested to see if they want to try them out because... I'll be at work while they're here, and they'll have nowhere else to get around. So, cool. Does name brand recognition make a difference to you, Jerry, if you were looking at 
trying out something like this? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, as long as they have the background checks, uh, I mean, and I'd imagine that the background checks for all of these companies are probably pretty similar. At least I would hope they are. Uh, the company doesn't really matter. It's the driver that matters. So what does it matter if it's an Uber or a Lyft or a Cowboy or a U2 Go or a Tap Cart? It doesn't matter. They're all, you know, who knows? Some of these drivers could be working for all of them. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. I, uh, I mean, I've never used a ride-sharing service, so whether it's Uber or Tapcar, I doesn't really matter. I'm curious to try them out, but I've also I've I've never really had a problem with taxis. My taxi experiences, generally speaking, are are positive. I just took a cab the other day from Transcona back home, and uh, the guy was pleasant and got me home safe, and I had no problem. So. I, I'm kind of inclined to just stick with cabs, I think, but there's a definite curiosity factor for sure. Yeah, I always make that uh, analogy with the healthcare system. Once you get in the cab, for me, generally it's an okay to uh, excellent experience. It's quite often the, the hassle is actually finding one, Jeff. Yeah, and usually, I, I, you know, that's Christmas party season is usually when of course. the hassle is. And that and flying, like Christian was saying, is usually the only times I use a cab in a year anyway. So they basically have until December to work out the bugs for any of these companies, whichever ones are still here by December, and, and I, think I might the, use them. And, you know, and I think that's part of the problem in this town is that we... It's a driving overall, town. we're yeah. a driving town. And so when we use cabs, it's kind of all at the same time, whether it's for concerts or hockey or football games or over the holiday season. And that can obviously put a dramatic strain on the resources. And then inherently you have a negative experience. So you're reluctant to use that as a consistent or a dependable part of your transportation strategy. I'm curious to see if these ride sharing services will change the culture here a little bit because hopefully they'll be a little bit more dependable in terms of being able to get one at a moment's notice. I have a question about uh, ride sharing etiquette. Do you get in the front seat with the driver or do you get in the back seat mm. like you do with a cab? Back seat. Yeah, I'd get in the back seat. Yeah, that's. But a, I never want to talk to anybody, I, like Uber driver or cab driver. Please don't talk to me. But here's it here, here, on the subject of getting in a uh, a car. This is completely different, I know. But if you get a shuttle back to the car dealer because your car's in the shop, do you get in the front or the back seat? I always get in the front. I get in the front. On, in even in taxis, I get in the front. It I just remember feels getting, weird to be in the back, honestly. I remember getting into a front seat for a cab, and the, the driver looked at me really weird, but he, he he made this sort of very quick effort to clean everything up <laughs> because he had a huge mess because he was... I, I think I was fairly new to cab, so I was just trying to be polite and friendly. I got in and said, hello, can I get in the front seat? I believe Christian and Brett both need to elevate their sense of self-worth <laughs> and sit in the back seat. Once uh, in high school, my mom was giving me a ride to school, and I got in the back seat, and I walked every <laughs> other day after that. <laughs> uh, we're getting a lot of text messages at 204-780-6868. Nancy says, darn right, I would use ride sharing. Sick of having to tell the taxi driver directions and listening to them on their phones constantly. Darned right. That is a, a, an interesting thought. Yeah, that when they when the driver sits on their phone, it's just that sort of quiet. They're they're speaking just loudly enough that the person on the other end can hear, but they're also speaking loudly enough for you to wonder: Are you talking to me, <laughs> or are you talking to someone on the phone? So it's creepy. Yeah. I like it though, because then. Because then you don't have to talk to him. <laughs> and you don't have to feel just like, oh, I'm not being rude not talking to this guy. He's he's busy talking to someone else. That's yeah, great. For, for some people. Look it, out the window and look at the scenery. It's awesome. As long as they, as long as they know where they're going, they have their directions <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. You, don't, you, you don't have to be the GPS. That's the other thing. They have something called GPS.
Excited to welcome one of our colleagues from Global Television. Tim Brooke is here. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing all right, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. A little bit of an earlier wake-up call than I'm used to, but uh, I'm here. I'm smiling. Well, we used to see you on Global News Morning. <laughs> yes, uh. exactly. A long, long time ago. <laughs> I will say the coffee is better at CJOB, which is very, very nice. There's um, lots of things that's better at CJOB. <laughs> Come on, Tim. We just hope uh, no, none of my global colleagues are listening back at 201 Portage because they're going to ride if they know the coffee here is this good. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I've heard the coffee is not so great here. So I don't drink. Well, neither of us drink coffee. We're a couple Ooh, of weirdos. Yeah, that is very, very weird. You know, it's graded on a curve, right? The coffee is so bad at 201 that <laughs> maybe this is really bad, but my... my Palette is just off. So. <laughs> Good, better, best. So, Our bosses are listening and very upset already. That's okay. We take shots at the bosses every morning on this program. Tim, thousands of Winnipeggers cross at least one city bridge every single day. I, I wager to guess that just about all of us cross at least one bridge on our way to work or on our way home or where we're getting around. Uh, but this new report uh, obtained by uh, Global News is shedding light on just how safe many of those bridges are and uh, there's a little trepidation here as we're welcoming you into the studio because i'm not sure uh what you found out so i'm, I'm anxiously <laughs> awaiting what you did uh, reveal yesterday yeah well we went and talked to the city uh and we got some numbers as far as inspection reports are done now the city has a team of bridge uh inspector inspectors pardon me who go out and will look at the quality and the state of the bridges in the city. Now, they monitor 217 structures. So a lot of these structures, a lot of the infrastructure in the city, there's no issue. But uh, we focus specifically on bridges. And out of the bridges that they monitor, that'd be 65 uh, vehicle bridges, there are four that are considered in poor condition, which... uh, if you're like me, it means you grip your steering wheel a little bit tighter when you go over these four bridges, or you just avoid them altogether. Everyone in Winnipeg knows the Arlington Bridge is one of those bridges that's a replacement's been called for for many, many years. Uh, there are three other bridges. We have the Luis Bridge, the Redwood Bridge, the Harry Lazarenko Bridge, and uh, the Sign Road Bridge. So there's these four bridges. We got the the inspection reports from the city, and some of the numbers are uh, a little bit shocking. As I mentioned, definitely will make you uh, grip the steering wheel a little tighter. So let's talk about the Arlington Bridge. Uh, what did you learn about that? What are what is the city saying? Well, as I mentioned, I think most Winnipeggers know the Arlington has seen better days. It's 106 years old. Obviously, there's a little bit of rust on it. Uh, we went to the city. We asked for these inspection reports. So the in- inspection reports were done in November of last year, and they looked pretty poor. Uh, all the elements of this bridge are ranked. Uh, 285 elements are ranked on a scale of from one to nine. The highest ranking on the entire Arlington Bridge out of 285 elements was a five, uh, and most of the numbers were four threes. We even saw a couple twos on there. So if you're crossing this bridge, you should know that even at its best, it's still just over halfway of where it should actually be. Yeah, I uh, I, I got to tell you, I've actually uh, gone over the Arlington Bridge a couple of times in recent weeks, and it's already an intimidating structure, right? It's good. It's got the cages, and it's just it's so unfriendly to begin with. And knowing now that the city is saying that, I mean, you talked to an engineer. What did the engineer say about it? Yeah, so we, we got the numbers from the city, and we thought, well, you know, these, these seem really, really poor. I mean, there's no way that they could still 
let Winnipeggers cross these bridges. So we went and chatted with a assistant professor uh, in the engineering faculty at the University of Manitoba, and he looked at the reports that the city gave us, and then we actually went and walked across the Arlington and Louise bridges, and he kind of confirmed everything that the city said. I mean, he pointed to some pretty extreme rusting. He pointed to uh, a lot of coating that was cracked, uh, steel decking that is rusted through. Uh, and then also the thing that worried me the most is we went underneath the Arlington Bridge and he pointed to um, kind of a main, I guess, artery underneath the Arlington Bridge. Uh, it's holding up, I guess, a sixth of the bridge and it has a major crack through it. And he said with the wear and tear of Winnipeg weather, that crack is only going to continue to grow and grow. Obviously, this man has not been monitoring the bridge his entire career, but he said from what he can see, this this crack is only going to continue to grow uh, so that alone is pretty worrisome. He also pointed out the fact that out of all these elements out of the bridge, out of all the joints, out of all the cracks in the bridge, all it takes is for one to really stop working and this entire bridge could be almost rendered useless. So uh, as I mentioned, I think worrisome is the word here. Uh, I know I probably won't be going on the Arlington Bridge again anytime soon. <laughs> If you can avoid it, uh, I mean, I, now I think the or one of the things that this uh, engineer was didn't he say something to you like nobody can guarantee that Arlington Street Bridge is safe at this point? As I look through the notes here and see the quote, nobody can guarantee that Arlington <laughs> Street Bridge is safe at this point. We're not trying to be fear mongers here, but that is a potent quote. It's it's an ominous quote for sure. And I, I do have to mention, we, we were told by the city that they said if they consider these bridges unsafe, they would be shut down. Um, but when you have a, an independent engineer come in and say, well, you know, it's pretty hard to guarantee that this is safe. Uh, ominous for sure. Uh, the city said, well, these bridges are in poor condition. They're functioning obsolete, they like to call it. So changes have been made. Repairs will be made in the future. Uh, but they're still considered safe by the city standards. But uh, the city maybe has a little bit different standards than uh, than the rest of us do. How often are these bridges how inspected? Well... It depends on what bridge we're talking about. So any kind of uh, one of these seven or 217 structures that the city, this operations department looks at, they're monitored twice or once every two years. Pardon me. So once every two years, a team will go around and look. Uh, these four bridges that we've that we've marked off, they are actually gone to biannual inspections because the city's a little bit more concerned about them. So they'll be looking at them twice a year, filing these reports. And I have these reports beside me. I know... Coming from the TV world, I could just flip through them and everyone could see on radio. I can't do that, but you guys can see these reports are very, very thorough. They're done twice a year. Um, and then the the city will go file these reports. Uh, the thing that I think is interesting, out of all these inspection reports, the city kind of says, well, we look at this ranking system from one to nine and we say there's parts of, of this bridge that need to be fixed. There's parts that need to be inspected a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, we see a lot of numbers in these reports. For example, we'll see a, a four, let's say, uh, for bearing lines in the north side of Arlington Bridge. And the city says, well, the four is, if it's rated four out of nine, there's a chance that we'll have to look at it uh, inspect it and then repair it before the next inspection. But for bearing lines, for example, as I mentioned, it's it's a four out of nine at the starting of 2017. Now at the end of 2017, it's ranked a three out of nine. Wow. So the city is, they, they're scoring all of these elements, they're ranking all of these elements, but you start to wonder, well, what takes priority here to make sure that this bridge stays up? And what does the city have money and resources to fix? Well, you know, a marked regression, obviously, in a very short period of time to go from a four to a three, that's a dramatic change. Tim Brook, Global News Television, joining us now. And Tim, 
is in studio to tell us about safety ratings of several bridges, four in particular in the city of Winnipeg, but two have really got our attention, right, Tim? The Arlington Bridge, which is slated uh, for replacement, although we had the mayor on just a couple weeks ago. He said, we don't necessarily have the money for this. It's about a 300 to $400 million project. How does Arlington compare to the Louise Bridge? Well, we'll get into Arlington replacement a little bit more in detail in one second, but the Louise Bridge, the reports, the inspection reports done by the city, a little bit less ominous as we were mentioning uh, there is some some six out of nine rankings as far as some of the elements on Luis are concerned but anyone that's walked on it can still see a lot of rusting can still see a lot of uh, severe corrosion as our uh, University of Manitoba engineer put it uh, something that I think is a little problematic as far as the Luis is concerned is its replacement is currently tied to rapid transit expansion and if you're a Winnipegger you know that could take a little while. Now, as far as the Arlington Bridge replacement is concerned, as you mentioned, very expensive, $330 million. Uh, Darren Burmey of the city's bridge planning and operations said uh, this this bridge might actually be beyond rehabilitation at this point. On the structure, there's certain defects that uh, may appear that would uh, be warning signs of uh, potential things. To go ahead and rehabilitate it would be a, a major undertaking to essentially replace most of the structure itself. So based on then on what he's saying there, uh you you were mentioning that there is a concern about the Louise because even though it has maybe not the as bad of score as Arlington, Louise would be slated for replacement way down the line. Yeah, rapid transit could could take a decade. Could uh, well, I mean, it's it's hard to speculate at this point. I know the city wants to get that done, but they're they're holding off on the Louise replacement so they can tie it all into the transit expansion. Uh, that could take a little while. As far as the Arlington replacement is concerned, yes, it is expensive. Yes, we need all three levels of government to pitch into it, but it's a little bit more realistic. I think it's it's more of a sexy option if you're the city. More people use it. There's more lanes on it. Uh, it's not quite as old as the Louise. It's actually a year younger than it is, but uh, it definitely has more changes that need to be made, a little bit more corrosion, as our engineers said, uh, and there is that major crack in a main steel member, which uh, is pretty problematic. Global News reporter Tim Brook, thank you for bringing us this important story. That means it's time for the Small Town Salute. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on Thursday morning. We can take a ride up Highway 59, take a right turn at Highway 44. That will take you to Beausager. And this weekend, the 56th annual Power Toboggan Championships take place. This is an event that is huge by any comparison. And joining us to talk about Beaux Azures and the Power Toboggan Championships, VP of the Organizing Committee, Reed Baker. Good morning, Reed. Good morning. Appreciate you taking some time with us today. You must have uh, uh, 12 to 18 hour days or so uh, on the uh, on the agenda for the next uh, three or four days. Well, it certainly seems like that, but uh, yeah, we get through it somehow. So how many people do you anticipate will attend this event this weekend? Uh, we'll have over uh, 5,000 people at the facilities throughout the weekend. What is the venue, by the way, for those uh, maybe or who are familiar with Bosa's or unfamiliar? Well, it's the it's the Canadian Power Toboggan Championship Raceplex in Bossier. Um It's a half-mile ice oval. Uh, it's a great 60-acre facility with... Uh, 
heated uh, concessions and washrooms, uh, a big 1,800-person grandstand, and trackside parking. I'm just looking at the, I'm at the website right now, cptcracing.com, and there's a sort of a flash video showing the racers going around the track. And Greg actually has a question about what exactly it is these racers are riding. Yeah, and I, I guess, Reed, the first question that came out of the mouth of our executive producer, Kim Lawson yesterday and Shanley Vidal, our content producer, also said, what on earth is a power toboggan? Why do they call it those? You know, that's the same question most people have the first time they hear of it. Um, uh, power toboggan was the name of a, a snowmobile, actually, created by a man named Mike Bosak from Bossier. Um It was one of the first uh, personal snowmobiles to be driven by a track. And uh, it just kind of caught on in the Bossier Brokenhead area. Um, people used to say, let's go power toboggan instead of let's go snowmobiling. And it just really caught on. And uh, back when the race was created in 1963, they decided to call it the Canadian Power Tobogganing Championships. Now, what is there anything that uh, that makes these power toboggans different from what I might think of as a, a standard snowmobile? Well, they're uh, quite different than the ones that you would ride on a trail in that they are lower to the ground. Um, they are most of them are highly modified and they are designed to be driven on ice so they'll have short really sharp skis and lots of uh ice picks on their tracks now everybody uh loves speed that goes out to these things uh, how fast are they going on these power toboggans well uh, they're the the premier class the champ 440 class they'll run at over 170 kilometers an hour uh, <laughs> on the straightaways and over 100 kilometers an hour in the turns Wow. <laughs> Forgive our shock on that. We don't mean to sound ignorant, but I, that, that must be super exhilarating being out in the cold going that fast. Oh, yeah. When you see uh, 10, 10 and more going around the turns uh, all at once, it's uh, pretty exciting to watch. Now, for as good as the racing is, you, you mentioned the grandstand and the heated concessions and, and the uh, washroom facilities. There, there must be some other activities going on around this event, Reed. Yeah, on uh, Friday, we're actually doing uh, Friday night racing, which is the second year that we've done this. Under um, the lights? Okay. Under the lights, that's right. We uh, we have a bunch of portable light towers that we set up, uh, well, yesterday and today. And uh, so we're going to have a free social in the beer gardens afterwards uh, tomorrow or uh, Friday night. And uh, also there's uh, activities for the kids and, uh, and then an awards banquet on Sunday following the races. Uh, are there, is there anything uh, for kids, uh, or do kids get to race? Yes, uh, we do have um, Kitty Cat and 120cc snowmobiles that uh, kids are able to race. Uh, I believe they start at uh, as young as four years old, and then once they get to 13 years old, they can actually move up to the half-mile ice oval that uh, the adults would race on. And then we have junior classes, uh, once they become, uh, or once they get to 16 years of age, they are allowed to start entering pro classes. Now, Bob Aiken, one of our uh, loyal listeners, sent us an email about this and reminded us of the Power Toboggan Championships going on this weekend, which is why I reached out to you in the first place, Reed. So a shout out to Bob on that. But he mentioned in his email that this is almost entirely, if not entirely, driven by volunteers. Yeah, it actually is. Uh, we have well over 100 volunteers that help out through uh, the entire weekend, and we have uh, over 50 directors that will actually help maintain the facility year-round. 
Um, we wouldn't be able to do it without volunteers, so it's uh, really important uh, to have them come out and help us out. Bob also described the races as the pride of Eastman. Is that an accurate statement? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's an accurate statement. Uh, you know, there's a... Uh, there's a lot of uh, other communities that are jealous of uh, what, what we have going on here in Beauzeur. Beauzeur, obviously a little bit of a gateway to, to what happens in the White Shell uh, and uh, is a growing community. Uh, before we let you go here, Reed, give us the 60-second uh, uh, elevator pitch on life in Beauzeur outside of this uh, incredible weekend. Oh, it's, uh, it's a great farming community to grow up in. Um, you know, it's... I, I couldn't. I wouldn't want to grow up anywhere else. Uh, it's a great place to uh, to raise a family. Just be, it's a small town, close to the city. Um, there's always something going on, uh, and in winter, obviously, the snowmobile races are probably the uh, highlight of the year. Hey, where are competitors coming from for these championships? This is the Canadian Power Toboggan Championships. Yeah, it's the uh, international event. I would say. Uh, about 60% of our uh, competitors are within Manitoba, and then the other 40% will be from all over North America. We've had racers come from Alaska uh, all the way down to, I believe, Texas, uh, BC. Uh, I think the furthest racer coming uh, this weekend is from New York. Um, but uh, the, the premier class, the majority of them are from uh, the United States, uh, but we do have one local uh, guy from Lockport Racing in the Champ 440, so he's kind of the uh, hometown hero, and uh, he's usually the crowd favorite. Reed, uh, looks like a fascinating time, great time. How can people get tickets? Uh, you can buy them at the gate, and you can also purchase weekend passes from a few businesses around Bossier, uh Spetsky Enterprises, uh, Bossier Co-op. But uh, tickets are available at the gate. Reed, appreciate this. Best of luck with uh, this 56th annual event. We will talk to you before the 57th annual. All right, very good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Reed Baker is vice president of the Canadian Power Toboggan Championships Organizing Committee. Small Town Salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. And again, the website for the Canadian Power Toboggan Championships, cptcracing.com. That's cptcracing.com. One, two, three. It's time to queue up three things with Shanalee Vidal. It's three things happening on March 1st. Hi, Shanalee. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Happy uh, March, Shanalee <laughs> Vidal, and happy pre-Friday to you. Thank you. It's funny. It is March 1st today, and as I was just commenting in the new, on the new, in the newsroom, it feels like we're halfway through March already for some reason. Does it? It does. As I changed my my calendar, my Cat Wars calendar, <laughs> to reveal yet a new cat for for the month. It Thank just, goodness. It feels like we've already been into March, but okay, uh, I guess right. I'm mistaken. So anyways, March 1st is a, is a very important day and it's going to be a frantic day for financial planners today with a lot of people trying to get uh, in uh, some last minute appointments because uh, if you've been putting off topping up your RSP, RS, R, RSP contributions, today is the last day to do so for the 2017 tax year. Well, you said that in our meeting yesterday and then you said it in our meeting this morning. <laughs> I thought, 
I thought it was yesterday. I thought it was February twenty eighth. I think it's it's I think it's a it's a sixty day it's a sixty day thing. But for this year, it sometimes it is the end of February. But for this this uh, for this year, it is March first. Okay, I, good. I didn't miss it. That's according to the Government of Canada website and the RSVP limit according to the Government of Canada for twenty seventeen contributions is uh, twenty six thousand and ten dollars. Make sure you get that ten dollars in there. Of course. And if you're getting a head start for the 2018 tax year, the RRSP dollar limit is $26,230. Now, keep in mind, uh, December 31st of the year you turn 71 is the last day you can contribute to your own RRSP. Right, and I think you have to turn into a RIF, a retirement investment fund or something similar, someone with much more uh, knowledge on the front, I'm sure, will be texting us any moment. But uh, yeah, get your, get your last minute appointments in while you can. Okay, what's next? Number two, something we've been talking about here on uh, 680 CGB for all day and for many months uh, ahead of today. Uh, today, March 1st, ride-sharing companies are allowed to operate here in Manitoba, but we're not going to be seeing Uber and Lyft, at least for right now, because Uber has expressed disappointment that MPI wants to in- uh, ensure uh, rider-sharing uh, drivers based on the hours worked instead of a blanket policy. And that's also going to make room for other companies, companies we may not have heard of, to come and take the plunge into the Winnipeg market. So Tapcar has said that they're going to be operating tomorrow. Cowboy Taxi is going to be following suit very soon. CEO of that Alberta-based company says uh, he he doesn't have any problems with the way uh, MPI is offering the insurance. You know, I'm very happy with what they rolled out. They rolled out the best product in all of Canada. I've had problems here in Alberta because the government of Alberta has allowed a partnership between uh, Intact and uh, Uber that has given Uber the monopoly when it comes to rideshare insurance. And that was Mo Benini, CEO of Cowboy Taxi. They're the ones that are also offering that girl power mm-hmm. ride-sharing with the female with the female drivers for female riders. Uh, two other companies that are coming are InstaRide. Now, Ride is R-Y-D-E, so that's very important when you're looking for the app. I was able to download the app, but it said no rides were yet available in my area. Spelling it with a Y makes it cooler. That's it, right. It does. It makes it more <laughs> quick. Ride, and, or, ride or die. The uh, final ride-sharing company revving up in Manitoba is called U2Go. Haven't been able to find an app. Now, we did locate a U2Go app this morning, but it was a, a pre-wedding planning app. Yeah, let me just pull that up again here. I'm just going to the Play Store on uh, Google here because I have an Android phone. So when you type in U2Go, uh, you get, there are two, they're basically the same app, but it says U2Go, planning pre-wedding photo easier. So that's just a bad translation. This is a... Uh, uh, an app that uh, originates uh, somewhere uh, way across the globe. I wonder if there's a chance that the edge will be behind, be behind the wheel, you know, if they ah. pick you up. <laughs> Jerry approves. <laughs> he just threw his hand up. And so, okay, so for number three, this one I have to, I have to credit to behind the glass, Jerry. So in our morning meeting, he mentioned that, oh, today is St. David's Day, who is the patron, patron saint of Wales. I don't think that's the kind of whales. And then I was all excited, actually, and then I realized, oh, he meant the other whales. John Rhys Davies, of course, one of our favorite guests of 2017, is Welsh. I have Welsh blood flowing through my veins, so this is a big day. 
And St. David's Day falls on March 1st, the date of St. David's death uh, in 589 A.D. Now, it's, it's not a national holiday in the U.K., but there's still lots of, of traditional not. festivities to mark the occasion. People might be wearing daffodils and leeks, those are the symbols of Wales mm-hmm. and St. David. Also, it's a good day to eat some traditional Welsh, Welsh food like Welsh rail, rarebit and cow. Now, I didn't know what that was, looked it up and discovered it's a hearty lamb and, and root vegetable stew. Yeah, no, I won't be having any of those things today. But they are, uh, if they are celebrating in Wales today, they might be doing so in the snow. Have you seen some of the uh, pictures and some of the video from uh, Great Britain? They're uh, un- like I haven't absolutely seen anything, blanketed but I have, in snow. Yeah, I understand. They're they're. It's like Winnipeg over there. Yeah, it is uh, absolute winter. And we were talking yesterday, they had some deaths in uh, Europe, mainland Europe, uh, due to the cold weather there. Uh, Yes, that's right. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, so I'm sorry, but uh, it was... Ah, trying to complete blank on that. Sorry, guys. No, no, I put you on the spot there, Brett. But uh, that is uh, definitely unusual weather all over Europe. So happy St. David's Day to all the folks with Welsh blood out there. All right, Chantilly Vidal, three things with Chantilly. Every day after the 8 o'clock news on 680 CJOB. Goldfinger. He's the man, the man with my best touch. Today is World Music Therapy Day. And to find out more about the day, to find out what is music therapy, we are joined by Jacqueline Sorensen. She's president of the Music Therapy Association of Manitoba. Happy World Music Therapy Day, Jacqueline. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for having us uh, this morning. Well, you know, it's uh, music soothes the soul. It's the uh, soundtrack to our lives. But a lot of people are unaware of the fact that music is, is a recognized therapy for people with a variety of different ailments. That's correct. Yeah. So tell us a little, a little bit about that. Well, music therapy is um, a discipline in which uh, there's credentialed professionals, so we're uh, listed as MTAs, so um, that stands for Music Therapist Accredited, and we use music purposely within therapeutic relationships to help support development, health, and well-being of our clients. Um, we use it in in, um, in different ways to help work on um, cognitive, communicative, uh, emotional, musical, physical, social, and, and spiritual domains. And um, so it's a really wonderful practice um, and a really wonderful career path. So who can benefit from music therapy? Uh, you know what? Honestly, it's, it's such a wide uh, spectrum. Individuals of various ages and abilities um, and musical backgrounds in any type of clinical, educational, community or private practice setting. Um, we work with individuals with acquired brain injury, autism and other preve- uh, pervasive developmental disabilities. Uh, we work in critical care, uh, individuals with developmental disabilities, emotional traumas. Uh, we work with the young, we work with uh, all the way up uh, to the elderly, uh, physical disabilities, speech and language impairments, um, victims of abuse, um, anything you name it. So it's a, it's a, a very wide range um, of individuals that can benefit from music therapy and there's absolutely no need for anybody to have any previous music um, 
background or or ability in order to be able to benefit from music therapy. I know at St. Boniface Hospital, they've had art at the bedside, music at the bedside as part of a holistic care and a focus on that type of care at St. Boniface Hospital, Jacqueline. But uh, also hearing, you know, when you when you think about someone with Alzheimer's or, or uh, maybe a, a brain injury of some sort, and even just those of us that get frustrated when we go in the kitchen. I saw this meme on Twitter just yesterday. How is it that I can uh, remember every lyric from every album I bought in 1984, but I don't remember why I went in the kitchen? <laughs> exactly. It's it's a really, it's what makes music so special. It's that it's processed everywhere in the brain. And so if there's specific areas of, of the brain that aren't um, lighting up the same way or firing the same way, which is inhibiting us from being able to do certain tasks, whether it's um, relearning how to walk after having had a stroke or a traumatic brain injury or relearning how to talk or or just developing um, those skills um, that may just be uh, delayed. Because music's processed everywhere in the brain, we can access all the healthy areas of the brain and create new pathways um, in the brain through repetitive music uh, activities and music interventions and help strengthen all of those skills. So that's why it's it's um, it's such a powerful uh, form of therapy. Our guest is Jacqueline Sorensen, president of the Music Therapy Association of Manitoba. Today is World Music Therapy Day. They have a website, by the way, manitobamusictherapy.ca. And when it comes to music therapy, Jacqueline, we're talking specifically about uh, clients playing music, not just listening to it, right? They're definitely in, uh, it can be a bit of both, but it's, uh, the more hands-on um, the experience, the stronger everything lasts. So what, we, what we're really looking for is, um, is being able to help individuals through the use of music, um, being able to incorporate active music listening, active music playing, um, incorporating a variety of different handheld percussive instruments, um, drum stuff, um, and, and, of course, singing along to things. Um, so, yeah, it, it encompasses all of that. And this is, uh, I would imagine, I guess, particularly beneficial for someone for who is, for whatever reason, uh, having difficulty expressing themselves uh, verbally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, music therapy, not only, um, like as I mentioned before, like we, we can work on the cognitive skills and we can work on uh, the communication skills and we can work on, um, on motor skills and everything else. But when we're looking specifically at communication, there's so much that goes into communication with um, social communication skills and, and the behavioral side of, of interactions, as well as um, the reciprocal back and forth language development that takes place, right? So we're looking at gestural forms of communication and early early forms of communication with language development and, and that as well. So it's, it's a wonderful uh, medium for therapy and it pairs beautifully with, with the other therapy modalities that are more commonly recognized, like occupational therapy and speech therapy. Jacqueline, how can people reach out to your organization if they think that maybe this is something they should be considering for themselves or someone they care about? Well, like you mentioned before, we do have our um, our website, which is music therapy or manitobamusictherapy.ca, and um, right on our homepage there, there's um, a way to click on find a member and. Uh, when you click on that, it lists all of the different uh, music therapists that are um, part of our organization here in the province. And you can look um, 
you can look there as well as to uh, who specializes in what uh, what areas and contact them directly either by email or by phone. Thank you, Jacqueline. We really appreciate this. And uh, once again, happy uh, Music Therapy Day. Thank you so much. And again, thanks for having us this morning. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Jacqueline Sorensen, president of Manitoba Music Therapy Association or Music Therapy Association of Manitoba. Again, that website is manitobamusictherapy.ca. Just uh, remember, Greg, when we first learned about this, uh, this would have been almost a year ago, I guess, uh, through our friends at the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. Neither of us even knew that it existed, that this is a form of therapy. And uh, it's really heartening to see that people are continuing to come up with creative ways to help those who need it. You know, Absolutely. The music resonates with us on so many levels, and, and this makes sense in my mind, that this is something that would be beneficial to folks not only to play, but to just to be involved and to take you back in time and to maybe get some different pathways uh, re-energized within the brain. I, I think it's a fascinating topic for conversation. We might have to revisit that uh, as it is music therapy month as well. So maybe we'll do that later on as we make our way through March. It's the police, you know. Oh, I see what's happening here. <laughs> Mackling McGarry. Bring the police, the, the, the music, the band. Yeah, well, we have the, at least one member of the Winnipeg Police Service in studio with us, Mackling and McGarry with you. Uh, something that cast a pall or a cloud over your days to become a victim of a scam. Many, if not all of us, have been targeted by one scam or another. Sometimes, Brett, multiple in the same day. Yeah, that's why March is Fraud Prevention Month. We have a couple of guests here to talk about that, and in particular how some scams are tapping into a type of currency that you have probably heard about but may not really understand. Cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin. Winnipeg Police Services put together a video to help enlighten you about the dangers of cryptocurrency scams. Here's a sample of that. If you are going to purchase cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, please do the research. Uh, start small. It may be involve uh, sending it to yourself or other family members so you get a level of comfort and understanding with how this currency works. So if you're approached to send Bitcoin, you should be asking a lot of questions. That was the voice of Sergeant Sean Veldman of the Winnipeg Police Service Financial Crimes Unit. He is one of our guests today in studio. We're also joined by Kevin Carthy, who is owner-operator, WinnipegBTC.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today on CJOB. Thank you. Thank you. So, Sergeant, uh, you said in that clip there that a lot of questions need to be asked. So what kind of questions should we be asking? Uh, yeah, do you know what you're, basically, do you understand what you're doing? So what we find is a lot of the traditional scams that have been going around for, for years, uh, whether it is you've applied for a job and you think that your job is to, you know, receive money and then convert that into Bitcoin or whatever the scam may be in pa- in past years, excuse me, uh, people have sent that money out, you know, maybe wire transfer or uh, money transfer service. But now the scammers seem to be using uh, the popularity of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and they're and they're directing people to make the transaction now at a at a Bitcoin ATM or that type of uh, a transaction. Are they trying to tantalize you, to tempt you to sort of get in on the excitement that is the the cryptocurrencies we're seeing? You know, at times them escalate in value dramatically. Is this just one more way to kind of push us off our game and and to not pay attention to what's really going on here? Maybe Kevin could speak to that a little better. 
it's usually not that sort of thing. It's usually more targeted people that are in need, some sort of a need. They, they create the need if it's not there. For example, employment. They'll offer someone who hasn't had a job for a long time an employment, and it seems very good to, on the surface, and they send them funds directly to their bank account, which then unfortunately get reversed later on uh, if it's found out to be the source is fraud. So, Kevin, then the, the, these cryptocurrency scams, uh, other than the fact that it's cryptocurrency, what is the are, are the are these scammers taking different approaches? Uh, because we're off, we often hear about uh, you got to go go buy a gift card and pay uh, off this yeah. this debt in gift cards, or the police are going to break down your door. So, what kind of scams are people perpetrating? Here? Well, they used to use those sort of things, and all like uh, it was mentioned earlier, all the same scans are just being resurfaced using Bitcoin now because of its anonymity, and also the fact that once Bitcoin gets sent, it's gone forever; it can never be returned. So, a lot of the other types of scans, there was an opportunity for people to get their funds back, whereas with this, there isn't. This is obviously something even a seasoned investor may have a difficult time. People that you expect would know what they're talking about if you ask them to explain to you what Bitcoin is. They have difficulty doing this, Kevin. Yes, uh, a lot do. And we have more and more people coming now from the financial sector to try and learn about it. It's just a different form of currency. It's a internet money, if you will. Uh, it's a totally decentralized kind of currency. Everybody has access to it. It's open source. Everybody can see how it's made, what it's made from. It's mathematics. So it's actually very, very safe, very secure. Uh, most of the scammers are just taking advantage of the protocols. They're not, uh, you know, Bitcoin itself is not a scam. Uh, we just need to alert that uh, we have just got a missing persons report from the Winnipeg police for Justin Tanner and Marshall Tanner, 10 years old and 6 years old. The brothers were last seen at a drop-in center downtown last night. Justin is described as indigenous, 5 feet tall. He was wearing a black and green winter jacket and red Nike shoes. Marshall is described as indigenous, four feet tall, uh, wearing a blue winter jacket and a blue toque. Again, 10-year-old Justin Tanner and 6-year-old Marshall Tanner reporting or being reported missing in Winnipeg. Sergeant Sean Veldman of the Winnipeg Police Financial Crimes Unit. Uh, more and more we hear about scams almost every week. There's a new one popping up or we're getting reminders from the police to be careful, be wary of this scam that keeps resurfacing. When you look into these things, how often is money able to be recovered? Uh, probably rarely would be the term to use. Uh, in most cases, the way that the scammers are operating, you know, they've migrated to, to Bitcoin now. They use whatever technologies out there that we like to use, and, and they're also using that as well. So what we're finding is if you get a phone number that comes up on your call display, and it says 204, you know, it looks like a local phone number, and we tend to trust those 204 uh, area codes that they're using that to their advantage. So they've spoofed that number. It's just a, it's based somewhere in the internet universe and uh, shows up on your phone or call display as, as being a local uh, number and then playing that to their advantage. And uh, what we've seen lately, unfortunately, is uh, a lot of aggression, a lot of pressure being applied in these scams. It's not... Uh, not uh, just an innocuous email, it's an actual phone call threatening you. I think you mentioned earlier about, you know, coming to arrest you or the police are going to knock your door down. And to a lot of us, we may look at that and go, well, that's not the way the police operate. We we have a full understanding of, of what goes on. But there's some people that are new to the country that may not be, uh, you know, as familiar with uh, the way the government operates and that sort of thing. And they feel, yeah, very threatened. And they do uh, give into that uh, pressure and, and go ahead and do transfer money. So 
at the end of the day, the scammers wouldn't be doing this if they're not making money. And and we can see from the numbers that they are making quite a lot of money. We know about virtual kidnapping and the use of social media to kind of be up to date. And if they know that you're away or you've got a loved one that's away, they can use that against you. We're in tax season mm-hmm. right now. People got their T4s over the last couple of days. So CRA and interaction with the CRA is something that we're all kind of taking part in. They're really, these, these fraudsters mm-hmm. really are like their game is pretty strong. Yeah, and you need to be careful uh, as well what you're posting out there, putting out there, because we find where in the past you've heard of the expression of fishing where you just throw a bunch of lines in the sea and you get a nibble here and there. But uh, more and more we see what's called spear phishing where it's very targeted. So if uh, the scammers want to extract you from your money, they do a little bit of research. And in some cases, that's not very hard. They'll go on your social media feeds, they'll see where you work, they'll see what you've posted and use that um, to against you. You may be uh, on vacation or that sort of thing. So just, you know, not a healthy level of paranoia is, is a good thing. Um, but just to be aware that you're not posting personal information uh, out on the internet, taking pictures of personal documents. Uh, let's say, you know, you're child just got their driver's license and you got a picture of them holding holding up their driver's license or something. Well, now they've got your driver's license number, your birth date, some very personal information. Your address is all on that document. You may not think of it that way, right? You're just very proud in that moment. Snap a picture, send it out there. And, and uh, with the ease of uh, technology these days, that can be done within seconds. And, and the thought isn't given necessarily to what am I sending out? What am I putting out there for public consumption? Sergeant Sean Veldman, Winnipeg Police Service Financial Crimes Unit, and Kevin Carthy, owner-operator of WinnipegBTC.com. You may have seen the ATMs throughout town. That's what they are. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us to tell us about Bitcoin scams. I didn't even know that was a thing, but I guess uh, with the continued rise of Bitcoin, that's the kind of stuff we're going to hear more and more about. The popular theme, the familiar theme of Star Wars. John Williams. Correct. One of the all-time greats. And the reason why Jerry is playing that particular song is the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra unveiled its 2018-2019 season guide yesterday. And on that, you'll find a bit of a surprise, I think. It's in their Air Canada Pops series. Bit of a surprise? And there's an event called Star Wars vs. Star Trek. And this is happening February 22nd to February 24th, 2019. And if you click for more information, I'm just at wso.ca right now, and it says, we tackle one of the greatest arguments of all time, Star Wars or Star Trek? Special guest hosts, Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun what? from CJOB's The Couch Potatoes. What? <laughs> I got this in my email yesterday. It's a good thing I was obeying all the portable device laws because I would have crashed my car. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try to settle the score with iconic music from both a galaxy far, far away and where no man has gone before. So that's pretty cool. That's one of just one of many of their great events that they have here. I'm looking at the website right now, WSO.ca. Uh, they have a Great Westlife Kids Concerts series, and they have Disney in concert, a silly symphony 
celebration. That's happening on October, October 21st, 2018. And it's uh, Silly Symphony presents groundbreaking cartoons produced at the Walt Disney Studios between 1929 and 1939, accompanied for the first time ever by their original scores performed by a live full orchestra. This is a kid's event? Yeah, they've got... I want to see that. They've got all sorts of things uh, planned for kids. We've really uh, applauded the WSO and their... And they're not outreach programs, but they're diversifying the programs that they put on, right? To appeal not only to the traditional uh, orchestral and uh, classical music lover, but to families and to introduce kids to incredible music. How about Bach, B-A-C-H, to the future? <laughs> I was just looking at that one. There's a pic. So the <laughs> they've got, uh, they've photoshopped in uh, Bach sticking out of the DeLorean in Back to the Future. <laughs> this is happening in June. Time warp your way through musical history. Start with the greats like Bach, Mozart, and Beethoven and work your way up to modern day classics from John Williams and Disney composer Alan Menken. So again, this is a tremendous event. We were hoping to speak with somebody at the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra uh, right now, but it looks like we're having a hard time connecting. But I also want to point out uh, BMO or BMO Night at the Movies. I was looking at exactly the same yeah. thing as you. Yeah, well, absolutely. And so they're doing four this upcoming season. The first one is Casablanca in October. By the way, the, the movies, what they do is same thing as that Disney thing, right? They play the movie on a big screen in the concert Giant hall. Giant screen. But the symphony, the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra plays the musical score. It's Amazing. I've seen them do it for a Charlie Chaplin film. I've seen them do it for Home Alone. I saw them do it at what was then MTS Center for Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. It's truly spectacular. They've also got Harry Chain or Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets in December. Yeah, and it's two uh two days, December first and second. So if you have Harry Potter fans like I've got in my house, you'll want to get tickets for these early because they traditionally sell out very early. So do yourself a favor if you're looking for things to buy for birthdays, different things that are coming up throughout the year. That's coming up December 1st and 2nd. It's, as you mentioned, Brett, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets in concert. And then just over a year from now, they already have it in the schedule, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of... uh, Azkaban, is that how you say it? Azkaban. Yeah, in concert, uh, March 8th and 9th, and then... That's actually my favorite Harry Potter movie. Is it? So there you go, you'll want to see that. And then uh, April 13th and 14th... Amadeus, Amadeus! I, that's all I'm going to do. I just I couldn't resist. You did pretty Amadeus. good. You did pretty well. Yeah. So congratulations on this, Brett. This is huge for you and for Jeff Braun, the coach potatoes, and to finally settle the score as to, you know, what's better? Based on the music, is that what we're going by here? I think that's what we're going to have to do. And what's cool, too, is Julian Pelicano is the conductor. Uh, He's our buddy that we bring in all the time to talk about the various events. So I'm going to get to work side by side with him. And I don't, I don't, we, we haven't worked out all the details yet on how we're going to do it, but there's a great possibility that they might bring a couch out for us so we can sit on a couch while we watch the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra play some of the, the coolest movie music ever. So the other question I have for you, will you and or Jeff Braun be wearing costumes representing Star <laughs> Trek and or Star Wars, or better still, will you be wearing a tuxedo? Oh, oh boy. Well, if if they're bringing out the couch, I was just kind of hoping I could wear like uh, my sweatpants and I whatever. I think maybe don't do that. <laughs> 
take your fidget spinners along and all your different <laughs> distraction devices. So. Sl- the slinky. <laughs> hey, did we ask a trick? Congratulations, by the way, Brett. I'm yeah. really uh, looking forward to this. This is a real uh, pat on the back and uh, more than deserved recognition for the really the institution that the Coach Potatoes have become, not only in 680 CJOB, but in terms of movie gores and entertainment uh, lovers throughout Western Canada. Uh, you guys are on more than one radio station, too. A lot of people don't realize that. That's right. The Couch Potatoes are syndicated on in Calgary, Edmonton, as well as Kamloops now, and then over in Ontario, London, and Hamilton. So the Couch Potatoes are a little bit uh, almost everywhere in Canada, and of course we are everywhere online. You can get the podcast at Google Play and iTunes. Either of the versions of this song that we well, talked about, is it? We gotta turn the mics off so our guests can hear. Hang on. I know this. What is it? That's Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy. Whiskey the original, in the jar. This is the original version? Well, okay. it's, it's the original rock version of it. Okay. The original yeah. version is like hundreds of years old. <laughs> yeah, because I know the Metallica version. That's so. right. We all do. We all know and love it. And some of us uh, love the whiskey. Some of us love the jar. Some of us love the O. Some of us love all the different uh, aspects of uh, consuming uh, this wonderful product. Uh, tomorrow night, a special fundraiser. It, it will go down easy. We're talking about the 6th Annual Winnipeg Whiskey, Whiskey Festival taking place at the Fairmont Hotel. It's all in support of the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. And uh, if you don't have your tickets now, you're uh, out of luck because yeah. the O stands for sold out. Yeah, if you did manage to snag a ticket, though, you are in for such a treat because all samples are included in your ticket price, as well as an all-evening gourmet buffet. There's optional mixology sessions, a souvenir Glencairn whiskey glass, and even a taxi voucher for a safe ride home. So joining us now in studio, we have Kira Cannon and Keith Trussler, brand ambassadors for Corby Spirit and Wine. They're in from Vancouver. Kira and Keith, welcome to CJOB. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Thanks for, having for having us. us. Are you enjoying the summer-like weather here in Winnipeg? Yeah, it's delightful, <laughs> yes. Yeah. We know you've had a little bit of a rough winter out in Vancouver in the last week I'm actually or so. been sunburned just from walking to the car this there morning from go. the hotel. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Keith is not only a brand ambassador for Corby Spirit and Wine, he's now an ambassador for Winnipeg. He'll be <laughs> taking back his love of Winnipeg to the lower mainland. Hey, talk about this event. Uh, we love talking about events and promoting them, but it's always extra special, Brett, I think, when we can already say it's sold out. That just means it lends legitimacy not only to the event, but the idea that we're just here to talk about something because it's awesome. So talk about the popularity maybe overall, Keith, if you wouldn't mind starting uh, uh, with whiskey. And and we're becoming more connoisseurs all the time, are we not? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, we've seen this uh, over the last 10 years, this tremendous sort of upswing in people's interest in the spirit and, uh, you know, their passion uh, for knowledge on how it's made, how to enjoy it to the fullest. And uh, it's it, it's been a fun ride for me for the last five years, just, uh, you know, trying to spread the uh, spread the knowledge and, and spread the love of a great spirit from a, from a wonderful country 
uh, known as Scotland that makes uh, absolutely fantastic drinks. Well, well, you've got, uh, what do you have in front of you? The Glenlivet? I got the Glenlivet 15-year-old in front of me right now. Yeah. And Kira, you have a couple of bottles in front of you. Yeah, so we have our Jameson Castmates and okay. then our good old Jameson Original. So what's the, uh, I'm familiar with Jameson Irish whiskey, but what's the Caskmates? What, yeah, tell us so about that. The Caskmates is one of our newer whiskeys. It's actually Jameson that we finished in a stout barrel. So bringing the worlds of beer and whiskey together. Oh, neat. Okay, so how long does that process take? I um, normally will do it for about six months in the stout cask, and that's long enough just to get those nice stout flavors through to the whiskey, but it's definitely one that's worth a try. Now, I think in this part of the world, you got to be careful with whiskey, right? Because, we, you know, a lot of us drink rye whiskey, and so there, there's a difference, and sometimes that difference needs to be qualified. Do you mind doing that for us a little bit, Kara? Yeah, so for Irish whiskey, um, one of the things there is that we, in general, it won't be smoky or peated, and we triple distill, so it should be nice and soft, smooth on the finish. Then for Keats Scottish whiskey, uh, yeah. So uh, in the case of single malt, we're we're working with 100% malted barley. So uh, Canadian whiskey is known for using a, a variety of different grains. Uh, it can often be rye. Uh, usually, it's corn based. Uh, in our case, in Scotland, uh, you know, corn's not native to Scotland, so uh, barley is the grain of choice. And there was a bit of a, a furor, was it not, when Crown Royal Northern Harvest was named the top whiskey in the world? Uh, it was named Whiskey of the Year. Okay. Okay. Now just remember, well, the Whiskey of the Year doesn't... <laughs> the gloves say are off here, I think. If this was a hockey fight right now, yeah. the gloves have been dropped and, and well, uh, I, uh, Keith is trying to pull Brett's jersey over his head just so we can set the stage here. Okay. I'm going to bite my tongue on that one for a second. The great thing about whiskey, there's whiskey for every palate. Yeah. Like, we're so lucky yeah. we do have such variation in different whiskeys and Shows like um, Friday night are chances for people to get to try all those different styles. Well, and what about pairing, uh, because, you know, pairing alcohol with food, uh, we've long thought about pairing wine with food, uh, but can you, is there, is pairing whiskey with food, is that a thing people do? It's an excellent reason to drink whiskey, actually. So yeah, we're really pushing that that, uh, whole program right now. of course, yeah, absolutely. Whiskey's a fantastic spirit to enjoy with food. A lot of people, it might be counterintuitive that they'd go for like these big, heavy, you know, meaty dishes or, or uh, you know, typical Scottish cuisine. I wouldn't recommend that. I, I Being from the West Coast, of course, we have a lot of seafood out there and uh, things like smoked salmon and uh, oysters pair wonderfully with single malt. So we're, we're guilty sometimes, and, and I'll come back to our prairie roots of bastardizing the, the whiskey with, with mix or, or something, uh, something worse. Do you dr- traditionally drink what we're talking about today on the rock, straight up, with mix, with water? How are we drinking this, Kara? Or how should we be enjoying it? I think, I don't know if Keith will have the same opinion here, but for me, it's how you like your whiskey. I like my whiskey with one or two rocks. Um, which by all means, but some people will take it neat or prefer it mixed, um, particularly maybe for Keats Glenn of a 15, I'd say we're doing that neat. Yeah, Probably, usually yeah. Um, my philosophy is that the right way to drink whiskey is the way you enjoy it the most. Yeah. Uh, you know That separates, of course, from the actual tasting process. If you're trying to analyze or learn, you know, if you're sitting down doing a, a whiskey class, uh, then generally speaking, it would be either neat or with some water added to it. Uh, once you start adding ice and changing temperatures, it kind of alters the way you perceive flavors. But uh, when we're just having a recreational drink, by all means, whatever you enjoy I the guess. most. Yeah. 
Um, so then if I wanted to, like, what is the, is there a correct way to, or correct temperature at which to consume the bottle, what you've got in front of you, for example, the Glenlivet 15? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you know, room temperature is is where it would where it would go. And once you once you start to cool things down, um, you, it kind of closes off the flavor profile a little bit. The sweetness sort of disappears. Uh, so yeah, just any you know any nice room temperature bar situation should be fine for storage and and for consumption. So you know, Brett and I try and educate ourselves on a variety of different things. Uh, wine is something that I've enjoyed for a long time. That uh, was probably not until I was in my late twenties that I discovered red wine because my palate hadn't really matured. At least that's my interpretation of what was going on, or maybe more importantly, not going on. And so now I have a, a much uh, stronger appreciation for a variety of different wines, white and red. Is whiskey something? Similar where maybe, oh, I don't really like it. Do you need to give your palate a little bit of an opportunity to mature or to acclimatize itself to whiskey if it's something that you think you'd like to try but have maybe had a negative experience with in the past? That's a good question. I'd probably say... Yes, you know, I think with any sort of drink, we all have that one when we're younger that gives us a bit of a negative <laughs> <laughs> negative opinion. But then when you get um, into trying the wider variety of things, you'll find um, ones that you like. And yeah, we use so many different types of barrels and we're really getting into some interesting um, aging with the, the different skews and using, you know, Keith's using French oak for the, the Glenlivet 15. So um, yeah, things like that. It's nice to see the different effect the different barrels will have. And These whiskey shows are a great opportunity for you to try a lot of different uh, different malts or different styles of whiskey. And, the, you know, the best thing you can do is just stick with what you what you enjoy. And, you know, don't be too influenced by what your, your friends are telling you is the best whiskey. At the end of the day, it's up to you to drink to your palate. And there's so much diversity out there that yeah. there really is a whiskey for everyone. It's the uh, sixth annual Winnipeg Whiskey Festival taking place at the Fairmont uh, tomorrow in support of the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. That event is sold out, but there is an event tonight called Whiskey Icons. This is happening from 7 until 9 o'clock at the Grant Park Liquor Mart Education Centre. 40 bucks each, and uh, the description at winnipegwhiskeyfestival.com. The whiskey industry would not be what it is today without visionary whiskey makers like John Jameson and George Smith. Explore the intricacies of whiskey and the rich history of Scotland's and Ireland's industries with brand ambassadors Keith Trusser and Kira Cannon, who are our guests in studio. Keith, I, uh, I'm a rum guy, uh, but I... I I like trying new things, and I recently did try scotch. So I want to tell you how I would describe it, and then I want you to say if it's accurate or not, see if my palate is <laughs> okay. is on point. Um, it was, I can't remember what it was. It was a 10-year-old age something. It was very peaty. So it, it tasted to me like a baseball glove that had been set on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, um, that's an excellent, excellent tasting note. Uh, I don't know if it's it's been used previously in in, in the whiskey bible, but <laughs> nice leathery. Uh, so set. Don't forget set on fire. That's a very important part of the equation. Nice bit of spice. Yeah, and, um, yeah. That's that could very well be accurate. The the thing to remember is that you know we all have our own perceptions of of what we're tasting, uh, and a lot of those are based on on. You know, memories from the past. So, did you were, did you have a pyro sort of inclination <laughs> as it, when you were young? Like, did you light a baseball glove on fire? And is it, 
I don't know. And I, I really don't know. That's just what came to mind. And it was, I, and but that's why I'm curious. I'm glad Greg brought up the palate question because uh, my compatriot who was with me loves it. He's the peatier yeah. the better. Yeah. And uh, it was almost just maybe too much flavor because I wasn't used to that kind that of flavor. That peat is really it is an acquired taste, and that is something that you will you know start to sort of become accustomed to the more you drink. It can be a little intimidating to to some people the first time they try it, but there are you know a lot of unpeated whiskies in Scotland uh the that really peated style is typically sort of relegated to the islands especially Isla uh our whiskies are made in Speyside and everything that we're doing at the Glenlivet uh, uh with the exception of a couple of expressions is unpeated and so the flavor profile is more about the barrel it tends to be uh, more delicate uh little bits of fruits and caramels and vanilla and Things like that. So, you know, if you don't like the Isla stuff, come try a space side and, uh, you know, just sort of run the run the range and, and try from the different regions. Now, Keith, I don't know if this is my ear playing tricks on me, but have you got a very subtle accent of some description? Is it a, <laughs> is it a lower mainland uh, or a Gastown accent or is it further afield than he's that? He's not making any effort this morning with his Scottish accent. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Uh, it's, it's certainly not a Scottish accent. No, I'm a, I'm a BC born and raised. So, okay, but... Yeah. Uh, Carl, yours is much more distinctive and 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 far more lovely than uh, Keith's <laughs> accent. Uh, I might say uh, Irish. Yes, you will be right. Uh, fresh off the boat, so yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And that adds to the authenticity. So the, the only the, reason I got my like job. Did they <laughs> ship you over here in order to do this job, or did you just kind of fall into this? Yeah, they um, kind of ship us around. We do a year in each market. Oh, so really? I've been lucky. I've been in Canada for two years now. Got a bit of Alberta life, and now I'm in BC. Wonderful. Well, add Manitoba to the list. Go for the trifecta. Yeah. <laughs> Stanley Cup champion uh Hockey team, perhaps, you know, yeah, yeah. you might have some fun over the next year. So you can see our guests tonight. Our guests, once again, Kira Cannon and Keith Trussler, brand ambassadors for Corby Spirit and Wine. They will be at the Grant Park Liquor Mart Education Center tonight, 7 until 9, 40, uh, tickets are 40 bucks each. Uh, this is Whiskey Icons. And then the, the main event, the 6th Annual Winnipeg Whiskey Festival, happening at the Fairmont in support of the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame, sold out. That is tomorrow. For more information, you can go to winnipegwhiskeyfestival.com. There are more events, actually. There's another event happening next week at the King's Head. So, Kira, Keith, real pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks to Behind the Glass Jerry, Chandelier Vidal. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB.